Amen. Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, or maybe you're turning on your device, let me invite you to turn with me uh, to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, and let me welcome those of you that are watching online. We're glad to have you join us through technology. Exodus chapter 20, we're working our way through the Ten Commandments. We've been looking at them one by one. We find ourselves this morning in the Ninth Commandment. Um, and so we're, we're working through those together, and we kind of have been kind of uh, memorizing them, talking about them, figuring them out, and, and really all of it, it's anchored on Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, for I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, that that verse reminds us that the Ten Commandments were given because of grace. God saved the nation of Israel, then gave them the laws by which they are to live. He saved them first then gave them rules. He didn't tell them, follow the rules and I might save you. He saved them by His grace, and then He gave them rules to follow in a relationship, in a response to Him. I am so grateful that that's how the gospel works. That Jesus saves us in our sin, not because we've done something in order to earn it, but because of God's grace. But we want to respond to that grace. We want to obey Him. And the Ten Commandments, much like the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus brings them back to life, are our response to Christ. And so today, we look at the ninth commandment. The ninth commandment tells us we are not to bear false witness, or you shall not lie. Mark Twain famously said, a lie can travel halfway around the world while truth is still putting its shoes on. That makes a lot of sense. We live in a culture that peddles in lies. That a lie will get the front page of the newspaper, and the truth will get a retraction three weeks later on the back corner in about two sentences, right? We, we live in a world where lies are all around us, and we're accustomed to this. We know we're going to be lied to. We know that we're going to interact with lies. We know that politicians lie, and celebrities lie, and our contractor fudges on the date they said they'd be through with the job. There's a whole industry called lawyers built on lies. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We lie, right? We, we know this. We know our children lie. We have to teach them from an early age that truth is important. And we ourselves lie. We battle telling the truth. From the very beginning, when Adam and Eve were tempted by lies of Satan, and lies now entered into the fallen nature of mankind, we battle lying. And we all do it. All of us. Every one of us battles telling the truth the truth in some form or fashion. And we wrestle with this because we all know telling the truth is right. If I were to say to you, is lying wrong? All of you would say, yeah, it's wrong. You, you, if you don't say that, stay after, by the way. We need to have a conversation. But you would say lying is wrong, and yet we still do it. Time Magazine wrote an article about this, and they said these words, the injunction against bearing false witness, branded in stone and brought down by Moses from the mountaintop, has always provoked ambivalent, conflicting emotion. On the one hand, nearly everybody condemns lying. On the other hand, nearly everyone does it every day. That's the battle. We, we battle telling the truth. I mean, think about it. Name any other commandment I can do on the telephone from the safety of my house. I can lie. I can lie and maybe not get caught. Nobody will know. Lying is, is second nature to us. It's, it's what we are born. We traffic in lying, and it's a big deal. In fact, because it has inundated our culture in such a way, we don't think much of it. We use terms like little fib or little white lie or twisting the truth. We, we, we don't look at it as, as the Bible looks at it. J.I. Packer would say it this way. He would say simply this, some treat lying as a kind of fine art, but the Scripture always views it with horror. Lying is not a good thing. 
It's never a good thing. It's not appropriate. We're not called to lie. And so the Bible looks very clearly at lying and says this is wrong. And I would submit to you, brothers and sisters, that of all the commandments that we have studied, this one is one that we must be diligent and vigilant to think about and fight with every single day. Exodus chapter 20, we find this command. Look with me in your Bible. Let me read to you the Ten Commandments again so we hear them anew and fresh. We've been working through them. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1, and God spoke all these words. These are the words of God. God said this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Commandment number one, verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, you shall not make for yourself the carved image or a likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation, to those who hate me, but bowing or but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Commandment number three, verse seven. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Commandment number four, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all the works, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. You or your son or your daughters, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it. Holy commandment number five, verse 12, honor your father and mother and your days may be long in the land that the Lord God is giving you. Commandment six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. And then verse 16, our commandment for the day. Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. David says in Psalms 51, six, you desire truth in our innermost being. So here's what I want to do. I want to, for just a moment, look at this idea of being truth tellers, and I want to survey the Bible, and I want to put in front of us places where we struggle, where, where Corey struggles, where, where we struggle with this, and, and I want to ask this of the Holy Spirit in just a moment when we pray, that, that he would take Psalms 51.6, you desire truth in the innermost being, and that all of us would lay our lives on the scale of God's truth and allow the Spirit to examine us. Would you pray with me, Father? Lord, you are the God of truth. Your very character is truth. You desire us to be people who not only live in the truth of the gospel, but speak and walk as people who run from lies. And so, Lord, I pray right now that you would just examine our hearts, that we would lay ourselves on the scale beside your scripture, and you would teach us and show us what it means to walk with you, to to honor you with our lives. Father, we want to be truth-tellers. We know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only truth that will change people. And we know, Father, that we must be people who proclaim this truth with character, with integrity. And so bless us. And Lord, I pray now that as we walk through this text, that all of us, not not thinking about our, our spouse or our children or our neighbors or our coworkers, we would think about ourselves. We would lay ourselves before you. We, before your face, would examine our lives by your word And Lord, we would be truth-tellers. Father, bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three ideas I want you to see from this commandment that we can find throughout the Scripture. Now, granted, we're looking at one verse of the Bible. 
So we're going to kind of use the rest of Scripture to help fill this in. The first truth is simply this. The ninth commandment is about the courtroom of man. The ninth commandment is about telling truth in the courtroom of man. If you look in your Bible at the ninth commandment, it says, Do not bear false witness to your neighbor. It is 100% written in legal terms. It is the idea of being a right witness in the court of law. It is to be a right witness in the civil court of man. Now, when God comes to the nation of Israel, He delivers them out of Egypt. He gets them through to the wilderness, and He meets with them on Mount Sinai. And He comes down from the mountain, and He's establishing the nation of Israel as a nation. And a nation needs rules and laws and understanding. And so the Ten Commandments are moral laws, they are spiritual laws, but they also have entwined in them societal laws, laws that will govern them as a society. And this law simply says that for a society to function, people's got to tell the truth when it comes to the court of law, to witnessing. Now, why is this so important in the nation of Israel? Well, there are several reasons. One, when the nation of Israel was established, there was no DNA testing. There are no security cameras. There are no cell phone footage or body cameras. Every bit of the court of law was weighted on the evidence they could find and witnesses. All of it was weighted on witnesses. And if a witness does not tell the truth in a court of law, then the very mortar is ripped out of the bricks of society. We have no way of holding to truth. The judge can't make an accurate decision if he doesn't know the truthful Facts. So built into this commandment is this idea that in a civil society, under the authority of government, a witness should tell the truth. Now, this is important. Israel put all of its weight on witnesses. You must have two witnesses. They must speak the same story. There must be clarity in it. There must be conviction in their story. In fact, uh, Proverbs uh, 14, the, the writer of Proverbs would say this way, a truthful witness saves lives. But the one who breathes out lies is deceitful. There's life-saving power in the witness. What is the truth? Now, let me just give you a little bit more on witnesses in the Old Testament so you'll understand it. Witnessing was so important, and the truth of the witness was so important, that if it was a capital punishment case, meaning death would be the answer to the convicted criminal, then the witness who gave the testimony must throw the first stone to kill the person that was convicted of death. They put the weight on the witness. Let me give it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 7. The hand of the witness shall be the first against him to put him to death. The first person to throw the stone is the witness. Now, why is that? Because it's one thing for me to lie on you. It's another thing to me to be guilty of murdering you, right? So it's to, it's to scare the witness to make sure you better tell the truth because if this leads to his death, you're going to be the first hand throwing the stone, which means blood guiltless will now be on your conscience if you're lying. This is how serious they were about witnesses in the Old Testament. In fact, it went this far. In Deuteronomy 19, we read these words. It says, The judge shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he meant to do to his brother. Now think about that. If I take the stand to witness against you, and I'm lying, and it's found out that I'm lying, whatever punishment you were supposed to get if you were convicted, I now get. That's how it, there wasn't no frivolous lawsuits in Israel. I mean, they cut this stuff out, right? You must tell the truth. Now, the question is, the Ten Commandments, the Ninth Commandment, do not bear false witness on your neighbor. Why is this so important? Well, there are two reasons. One, if the society's going to work, you've got to be honest. You've got to tell the truth. If, society, if the fabric of society is going to work, then there has to be honesty in the courts. This is why even today, even though people lie, 
There is the tradition of laying your hand on the Bible and saying, I promise, I swear to tell the truth. I'm, I'm coming here with what I know and the truth that I have. I'm the witness. This is what I know. There has to be that fabric built in. So let me just take an aside here and let me give you some civil discourse. As Christians, as people who believe the Bible and the God of the Bible and that he has set the order over all things, first with the nation of Israel and now in the New Testament with Romans chapter 13, that we are to be under governing authorities. As Christians, we have an obligation when we know truth to speak that truth in civil society. We have an obligation to be witnesses to truth in civil society. So if the courts call on you, you have an obligation to tell what you know in civil society. Now let's take that a little bit further. If you know something and you don't share it, you have a guiltness. Because, because God says, don't be a false witness. And, and sitting on truth is allowing false witness to go forward with your neighbor, brothers and sisters. We live in a day and age, even now, where we're discussing the topics of race and equality and society. And you know why we're here? Because hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years in our country's past, people didn't speak up and say the truth. That's why we're here. Good people sat quiet, and they didn't do what they were supposed to do. And so this is pressing on us. We must be truth-tailers in society. But there's a second reason why he's so adamant, God is, with the nation of Israel. Because... He knows that the nation of Israel will be the place in which the good news of God's forgiveness, Yahweh God, will go forward. And eventually Jesus will come to save the world. And so he must establish a society of people who will tell the truth so that when the gospel comes, they can hear the truth. And we know that they fall from this over and over and over, and it damages the gospel. Just read the New Testament. Read the Pharisees and the Sadducees, those that were supposed to be the Israel leaders that spoke truth, those that were supposed to proclaim the good news of God, those that were supposed to know the truth of the word. Their lives have become so twisted in lies that when Jesus shows up, they don't believe anything. He is so adamant that they must be a truthful society in order that the gospel may go forward. So the first part of the commandment is a legal standing. You're supposed to be a good witness in the courtroom of God. That's, that's literally what it means. But let me just give you some insight on the, interpreting the Ten Commandments. Whenever you read the Ten Commandments, what we read is usually always the worst case scenario. If you were to look at your commandments, if you were to look in your Bible, you go back up to verse 13. It says, you shall not murder. The worst case of breaking that commandment is to take someone else's life, right? To take their life unjustly. But we know that when we read Jesus' writings in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you get angry with your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. So he says, yes, the worst possible thing is to take their life, but there's more ways to break the commandment than just take their life. Look with me at the scripture again. Look with me at uh, verse 14, commandment number seven. You shall not commit adultery. We know that the definition of that means to introduce into the marriage covenant a third person, to break the covenant between one and two, husband and wife. But then when we get to the New Testament, Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've committed adultery in your heart. So the Ten Commandments always give us the worst case scenario, but there's always all the other things underneath it. Now, why do I tell you that? Because the Ninth Commandment is don't lie in court because it may cost someone their life. That's the worst case scenario. But there's a whole lot of other things that fall underlying. There's a whole lot of other ways to apply the text. There's a whole lot of other truth in Scripture. And so let me give you the second truth for this morning, and that's simply this. There is a call from here to be truthful in the courtroom of God. You see, brothers and sisters, here's what you and I know. 
We know that, yes, when we're called into the civil organization of government, we are to be a good witness. We are to bear good witness in the courtroom of man. But we know this, there is not a place that God is not over. There is not a place where He does not reign. He is the God and the judge of all creation. Therefore, He is in the courtroom of your marriage, your home, your classroom, your job. He's in the courtroom of your hobbies. He's in the courtroom of your bedroom. God is everywhere. Therefore, as Jesus would say in the Gospel of Matthew, we will give an account for every idle word spoken. So we are to speak truth in every area of our life because God the judge is sitting over the throne. And so now the commandment leaps from just the civil courtroom to all of us. Where do we do this? So... We have to talk about this idea of telling the truth. Here's where the sermon becomes application. I'm only preaching on one verse, so you've got to stay with me, right? Here's, here's where the sermon becomes application. Here's where it fits into our life, right? So here it is, right? right? Here's the idea. We've got to talk about uh, telling the truth. We've got to talk about being truth tellers. So being truth tellers means being godly. The first reason why you should be a truth teller in the courtroom of God is because it means that you're, you're being godly. What do we mean by that? Well, here's what we mean. In Titus, the Bible says that God cannot lie. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, it says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. The very character and the nature of God is that he is truthful. He's always truthful. He's never, ever lying. He never fudges the facts. He never twists his word. He always keeps his commitments. God is not a liar. So, Jesus himself, God in the flesh, says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God is truth. So when you and I pursue truth, we are pursuing God and we are acting in accordance with the Father in whom we love. But now let's look at it this way. When you lie, you are behaving as if your father is Satan. The Bible says that Satan is the father of lies. The Bible says that he's been lying since the beginning. And the Bible would even say through the words of Jesus to the Pharisees when they began to talk and twist words, he would call them out for being the sons of the devil. And so ultimately, see this now, when you peddle a lie, when you give a half-truth, you are ultimately saying, I want to resemble my father, Satan, not the image-bearer God whom I'm called to follow. You see that, that lying now makes us look as if we're resembling the devil and not God. It's bigger than just a little fib. It's ultimately saying, I'm going to speak like Satan instead of like God. So when we lie, we are pursuing the wrong image bearer. We are to be the image bearers of God, not of Satan. So he literally tells us that that we are to go in this. Colossians 3.9, the Apostle Paul would explain it this way. He would say, do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off your old practices. When you were lost without Christ, you are a liar under the reign and the chains of Satan. Now you are saved and with Christ and sons and daughters of God. Don't act like Satan steal your daddy. Follow, that's a Father's Day quote there, right? Follow after God. He's the truth teller. So telling the truth is the pursuit of godliness. So let me just say it one more time to fill the weight of it. When you lie, yeah, it's a sin. But you're ultimately saying, I would rather repeat and listen to and follow the tongue of Satan than the tongue of God. That's that's the argument that Paul makes. Now, let's get to the application. So, to, to being truthful means being godly, but being truthful means being vigilant. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay with me. I want you to look up here. Here's what I've done. I've put together a list of ways we lie. 
I watched your lives. I surveyed you. Some of you, I followed you around this week. I got on your social media. I talked to your spouses. Uh, I put together, I'm kidding, man. Laugh a little. I put together a list of the ways in which we lie. And so we're going to walk through this list together. And I want you to hear David's words in, in, in Psalm 51.6. God, you desire truth in my inner being. So lying is acting like the devil, and truth-telling is acting like God. We've established that. So what I want you to do is I just want you to listen to me explain this, and I want you to be prayerful. Lord, is this me? Have I done this? Am I peddling in this? So, so here we go. The first one is whoppers. Isn't that a good definition? Sometimes we just tell whoppers. We just tell lies. Just bold face, big old lies. I killed a 40-point book last year, right? Bold face lie. It was only 39. Bold face lies. Jerry Cloward tells a story about a friend who lied all the time. He lied and he lied and he lied, and finally they were going to teach him how bad it was to lie by telling him a really big lie and show him how foolish it was. So they sat his friend down, they began to tell him, they said one time they were in church and the preacher was preaching and a grizzly bear busted in the back door, started flipping over the pews and growling and, and snorting and slobbering, people running and screaming. And about that time, a little old hunting dog came in behind it and bathed that grizzly bear up in the corner of the church. They said, don't you believe that? They knew that he would say, man, that's a big old whopping lie. And you know what that brother said? He said, I do believe it. That was my dog. <laughs> we're prone to lie. We just, we just tell those whoppers. They're not... True, but I would guess that in an everyday case, you don't just go around making stuff up. I read an article this week about Bill O'Brien. He was the Notre Dame head coach for about a month, really less than that. It was his dream job. He had worked his way up at Georgia Tech. He had done really well. He got the dream job at Notre Dame. He took the job. He was on the job, the dream job. And then they began to fact check his resume. And a decade ago, he lied on his resume about the education that he had and the job experience that he had. And it came to light a decade later, and they fired him at Notre Dame about two or three weeks into the job because he wrote a big old whopper on his resume. You know what he said when they called him? I misspoke certain facts. No, bro, you told a whopper. You lied. That's a lie, right? Here's another way we lie. We tell little fibs. We call them little white lies. Let me give you just some examples in my own life how I do this. You call me at 1030 at night. You got something pressing on your heart. You call my phone. I pick it up. First thing you say is, Pastor, did I wake you up? I say, no, no, man, I was wide awake. No, I wasn't. I was asleep. That's a lie. I was sound asleep. You woke me up. That was a lie. Why did I tell that? Because I, I thought it would be nice. I, I thought it'd be helpful. I thought it'd be, it's a lie. It's, it's not true. Now, you call me anytime you want to, right? You call me. You can't hear morning breath through the phone. Call me anytime you want to. But it's a lie. It's not true. Another way we lie, we tell half-truths. We get a few details. This happens in the life of my children. One of my children will hit the other one, and they'll run to tell me about it. They hit me, and I'll go and find the one that threw the punch, and this is what I'll get. Well, Dad, I was in my room reading my Bible, and I was singing the great song, How Great Thou Art, while meditating and cleaning. And my sister just busted in and began to slap me. So all I could do was defend myself by lightly pushing her away. Now, was there slapping and pushing? Truth. Was any of the rest of that true? No, that's a half lie, bro. That's, that's not how we do We do this in our own life. We do this. Oh, I, I was going to make it, but I got tied up. I got tied up over here and I got the... You wasn't going to make it. That's a half lie. You, you were never going to come. You, you had some things and, and you didn't change them. Brothers and sisters, those are lies. False flattery. 
We do this. I'm not telling you we shouldn't be nice. We shouldn't be complimentary. We shouldn't be kind to one another. But when the Bible talks about flattering words, the Apostle Paul references this in the New Testament. When he talks about flattering words, he literally means to build up in a manipulative way in order to move someone around the way you want them to. So we'll lay on some lies. We'll puff some smoke. We'll we'll give some fire to that so that we might get something in return. And we lay those false flatteries down. That's lying. It's not true. Just so you know, I got two more lists. So hang with me, right? Here's another one. We don't represent ourselves with truthfulness. We don't actually give all the details about ourselves. How do we do this? I'll give you a couple examples. We overstate our accomplishments and understate the accomplishment of others. Or maybe in the negative light, we understate our failures, but we overstate the failures of others. I'm really good at giving me the benefit of the doubt, but not you. I'm I'm really good at stating the story and the facts that I become the hero of it and you become the villain pretty quickly. I'm really good at shaping the details to where I always come out roses and you come out thorns. That's how we do this. We twist the truth. Let me give you another list. We mislead, we misquote, and we misrepresent. We we take something we've heard and, and and we quote it or we say it. Now, you guys know that the way something's said has as much to do with what is being said. If I look at you and say, that outfit looks wonderful, you might say, man, he's really kind. If I look at you and say, hmm, that outfit looks wonderful, that's a different story. But you might take the words and go say them again, and, and now it's being misrepresented. It's being misrepresented. And I'm not even going to touch, honey, how do I look in this? That's a different sermon, all right? But that's the idea is that we, we mislead, we misquote, we twist. We twist other people's words. We fail to keep our commitments. How often? Have we heard till death do us part? And yet it falls. How often we say we'll do this or that and and we don't keep our commitments. We're quick to condemn with the crowd without waiting for truth. We'll jump in on the lie without letting truth have its say. I saved the last two for the last slide because I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to climb on the perpetual soapbox here for a moment Make believe that we spread fake news. Hot button word, right? Everybody's claiming fake news, fake news this, fake news that. If you watch this channel, it's fake news. If you watch this channel, fake news. Can I just let you guys on a little secret about news? They're going after ratings and dollars. Truth is a moving target. They're going after ratings and dollars. That's, that's what they do. That's, that's what spins the wheels. But we, as Christians, should not peddle lies. And where we see this most, now stay with me because I'm just straight up meddling now. Where we see this most is on social media. Brothers and sisters, if you find something on social media and you think to yourself, I have found this gem of truth. Nobody's discovered this. I'm going to share this gem of truth and everybody will agree with me. You ain't found it, I promise. If you think you found something that everybody else hasn't found, you hadn't found it. Stop and breathe. Right? Before you share it, before you pass it on, before you try to make people see your argument, here's what I want you to do. Take five minutes and Google it. You'll find 17 articles that will tell you that was old or debunked or not true. We should not be peddling in false truths. Don't do it. And the second one is slander and gossip. This is the biblical term. Gossip is murdering with your tongue. 
Thomas Watson would say it this way. He would say, if I speak gossip, I got devil in my tongue. If I hear gospel, I got gossip, I got devil in my ear. Gossip is murdering with your tongue. It's passing on. It's hurting people. It's moving that way. Now, now why is this important? Because we have to be people who proclaim the truth and we live in a world that's full of lies. And so, brothers and sisters, if we find ourselves lying with everyone else, how are we ever going to stop and tell them about a Jesus that saves liars? How are they going to listen to us if we're peddling in lies? So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you some advice. Here you go. This is, this is free. At, it's not free. You pay me. Here's advice, right? Here's advice. What are you supposed to do? Before I say it, here's three questions. You ready? Here they are. Number one, is what I'm about to say true? Do you actually know it's true? Is it just your opinion? Is it because you heard it from so-and-so, from so-and-so, from so-and-so? Or have you actually verified it? Is it true? Secondly, does what I'm about to say need to be said to the person I'm about to say it to? Gossip and slander means to hurt someone. So I may learn something true from them, but just to go and tell it to them is not good. That may not be necessary. So now I'm peddling in gossip and slander in order to harm them. So just because it's true doesn't mean the audience I'm telling it to it needs to to hear it so don't do that and then number three would I put it that way if the person I was talking to was listening I heard a story about a woman who was trying to cut down on gossip in her circle and so what she began to do is whenever one of her friends would come to her with gossip she would stop them and say you know what I have that person's phone number let's call them together she said before long she didn't have very many friends the idea here is is that 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 we stop the chain of half-truths now Here's what I want to do. I've spent a few minutes just application, just berating you. We all feel terrible now, right? You're all going to go home and scrub your Facebook. I get it. We all feel terrible. I'm in the boat with you. But here's why I make the point. I want to give you this last point, and I want you to hear me. Don't miss this, please. This is where the culmination of the sermon leads. Why is God so passionate about telling the truth? And that's simply this, because we have a cause for truth. There's a cause for telling the truth. There's a reason why God is so passionate about the nation of Israel telling the truth and about you and me being peddlers of truth and not lies. Why is God so passionate about it? There's two simple reasons. The first one is we are commanded to tell the truth. We are responding to God and being godly by telling the truth. And when we tell the truth, we are able now to validate the truth claims of Christ. We're able to say to the world, it's full of lies. Just think about the lies that the world hears. The world hears the lies that there are more than two genders. The world hears the lies that taking a baby in the womb doesn't matter. The world hears the lies that everybody's going to get to heaven, just try to do your best. The world hears the lies that hell's not really that big a deal. The world hears these lies over and over and over and over, and they're spun those lies over and over and over and over. And you and I know that the only answer to those lies is Jesus. But if I spend my life peddling lies, will they ever listen to me? Will they ever hear me? If I spend my whole life ginning up gossip and stories about the world, about politics, about society, then will they listen to me when I stand and say, oh yeah, I might have not have known all the facts here, but I sure know about this Jesus, you need to hear me. Will they even stop to listen if I'm peddling in lies in every other part of my life? George Orville would write it this way. He would say, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. We must be truth tellers. Carl Vardis writes it this way. He, say, he simply says that a follower of Jesus, is the truth is the currency in which we share. 
It's our gospel. It's, we are the only people in the world that know the unchanging truth, the nature of God, Christ himself. So telling the truth is a big deal. When you lie to your kids, it's a big deal because you're demeaning the gospel. When you lie to your spouse, it's a big deal. When you lie to your boss, that's a big deal. You're behaving like Satan and you're pulling back the witness there is on the gospel. When you lie on social media, you're pulling back your witness for the gospel. When we lie to one another, we are breaking the witness of the gospel. It's a big deal to the Lord that we stand for truth. Now I want to close with the good news because I think at this moment I've probably rattled every cage in the room. I've already preached this sermon once, and I've got to preach it to myself again. So get in the boat with me, right? We, we, we're rattled now. We know we, we peddle in lies. And Revelation 21.8 famously says, liars go to hell. So what are we supposed to do? Well, I'm reminded of a liar, pretty famous liar. In fact, he's such a famous liar that it's recorded in the Gospels about his lies. He's such a famous liar that he didn't lie just once or twice, but three times. On the night that Jesus was arrested and uh, would later be crucified the next morning, Peter was following Jesus, the disciple who had walked with Christ and walked with Him over and over, watched Him heal the sick and walk on water and feed the 5,000 and had already confessed Him to be the Christ and knew He was the Savior. And on the night when Jesus was beaten and arrested, they came to Peter, not once, not twice, but three times and said, Peter, aren't you with Him? No, I don't know Him. Peter, didn't I see you and the Galileans with Jesus? No, man, I don't know him. Peter, aren't you the ones I saw walking with him on the road? In the last part of the Greek in the New Testament, the Bible gives the implication that Peter actually swears. I swear, I do not know Jesus. Now, the, now Revelation 21.8 says Peter's going to hell. He just lied about Jesus, the Savior. There's no hope for Peter. There's no hope for Peter. There's no hope for you. We're in trouble. And then you know what happens? There's another part of this story you should hear before we close, and that's simply this. You know how Jesus ended up getting arrested? Because people lied on Him. They found false witnesses and bribed them in order to lie on Jesus. And they lied about Jesus. He was not guilty. And yet his, the lies against Jesus sent him in the court system and in the crowd. And the crowd yelled, crucify him, a lie he did not deserve. And they sent him to the cross to die. Why? Because liars go to hell. Liars are supposed to be punished. So Jesus went to the cross as a liar to die in a liar's death for you and for me and for Peter. And he's buried in the tomb. And he rose on the third day. And now he washes all liars clean that will come to him. And he meets Peter just a few days later at the Sea of Galilee where Peter has gone back to fishing. Why? Because he ain't got no hope now. He's turned his back on Jesus. He doesn't know what to do. He's going back to his old life of just fishing and lying and doing whatever he knows to do. And Jesus shows up and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Three times he lied on Jesus. Three times Jesus asked him, do you love me? And what we find there is complete forgiveness for liars don't miss this every single lie you've ever told just one of them makes you an enemy of God and you should burn in hell the rest of your life justifiably because God is truth and he desires truth and yet with His mercy at the cross and His death as an accused liar, He looks at us and says, do you love me? 
Your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. Brothers and sisters, I'm so thankful that we serve a God who saves liars, who rescues liars. And I pray that we will be people that will speak the truth as our Father has called us to. And we will tell people the glorious news of the gospel and stop peddling in lies. Our society has been deceived by Satan and everybody lies. May it be said of us that we do not. Would you bow your heads with me? One verse was our text today, Lord. We just looked at one verse. And yet, Father, there's so much more Your Word says about it. And Lord, be honest with You, we looked at the verse in a very um, brash way, in a very painful way. It's easy for all of us, including myself, to just think about all the times we've trafficked in lies. We've told half-truths, we've, we've, we've made ourselves look good, and we've made the other person be the villain, we've we spread gossip, we slander, we give false flattery in order to manipulate, we click share and not even think about reading or, or background checking or wondering if it's even worth stating it. Lord, we, we are just so prone to the fallen nature of Satan to tell lies. And God, it's in all of us. We all battle it. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that, yes, we would feel the weight of sin. Some in the room today need to confess that they've been lying. They've lied to their boss. They've lied to their parents. They've lied to their spouse. They've lied on a friend. They've gossiped on a brother. Whatever it needs to be, they need to confess their sin and make it right. They need to see it as treason against the holy God. But, Father, I pray that, that in our repentance and in our following of You, You would remind us you died for liars. That you've forgiven us of all of our sins. That there's not a, a whopper of a lie we could tell that would lose Jesus Christ's blood. Oh God, thank you that you rescued liars like me. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. This is just one of those sermons where you just have to examine your heart. So I'm going to give you just a minute, sitting quietly. Ask the Lord, would you be bold enough to say, search me and know me. If there be any grievous way in me, Lord, point it out. Would you do that for just a moment? Father, you want us to be truthful because you're truthful. And so, Lord, help us going here forward to be truthful. Give us a conviction to speak like our Father in heaven and not like Satan. And Father, may we guard our truth, the life of the, of, of the truth you've given us, the gospel, because a lost and dying world entangled in lies needs to hear the truth. And so may we proclaim it faithfully. I'm about to say amen. We're going to stand and sing to the Lord because He's worthy of our response. 
And so we're going to sing a, a, just a hymn of, of praising Jesus for dying for us and rescuing us, us liars. If you need to talk, if you want me to pray with you, then I just encourage you, just hang out after the service, after the crowd dismisses, and we'll visit together. Father, may we respond now to honor you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, church.